Welcome to Sober Solutions. We are a weekly recovery podcast, not affiliated with any particular 12-step or recovery program. However, you may hear us mention them. My name is Jason, and I'm an alcoholic and addict. My name is Chris, and I'm an alcoholic and addict. My name is Ben. I'm an alcoholic and addict. And welcome back to Sober Solutions podcast. Tonight is episode 38. And we're going to be talking about having reservations in recovery or even having reservations about recovery. And tonight we have a very special guest with us tonight, Julia M. from South Jersey. Hey, Julia, how are you? Hey, I'm great. How are you? Uh, We're good. We're good. It's so good to see you. So good to see you. Um, Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. We're we're very excited to hear a little bit about your journey. And then uh, we want to hear a little bit about the reservations you may have had about recovery and and this process. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your story first? Okay. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I'm from South Jersey. Um, As far as addiction goes, I I drank in high school, um, you know, on the weekends and things of that nature at parties and such, but I never noticed it start to get a problem until... I started using it as medicine for my anxiety and social anxiety. Um, And so I want to say I went through a really bad breakup and I think that was kind of the trigger. Um, It was very, it was a huge shock to me. I went through some other things as well all around the same time. And I mean, I knew alcohol made me feel good and feel better. So I had used that as a gateway Um, and it just started like slowly, but surely becoming an everyday thing. Um, I started drinking a half a pint of alcohol or rum every day after work. That would be like the first thing I do was stop at the liquor store and drink half a pint. And then, you know, it started getting worse to then being a pint. Um, I would drink a pint every night and, it just started to spiral. Um, after the pint, I would get two pints because what would end up happening is I would wake up in the middle of the night, super anxious. And so I would need something to help me to get back to sleep. So I would have my second pint there. And, um, my family and my friends started to know that it was an issue. They could see it and they could hear it Cause I would call them, you know, when I was drunk and, never remember the conversations or anything. So they came to me first saying, you know, I, I think you have a a problem. And at the time I said, no, it's not, I'm not addicted. I just abuse it. Like I, I'm, I know I'm aware. I know that I abuse it and um, that's all it is. I can stop whenever I want. But as it started to get worse, um, I mean, I did start to think, okay, maybe, this is, this is beginning to be a big problem. I had started losing jobs because of it. Um, and so ultimately I decided really to, to make my family happy that I would go into rehab. And so I went the first time and ended up doing a residential. Um, and, you know, we would have like our family discussions and everything. And I said, oh, like I'm, I'm doing so good. Everything is so much better. Um, I really think, you know, that I'm going to get out of here and, and just be on the right track. And so I left 
And as soon as I got home, I mean, I had my own apartment at the time and I left, when I left, there was alcohol still in my apartment. So when I came home, that was kind of the first thing I saw when I walked in, there was like a gallon still, or, or not a gallon, but a handle of vodka sitting on my floor. And so instantly I just went for it. And about a week later, I ended up back in rehab because it had just gotten so out of control. Um, I ended up like dabbling in Xanax at the time too and mixing it. I was in the hospital um, at a 0.447 and it was just really bad, really, really bad. And so I went back and I did another residential stay for 25 days. And then it was the same thing, like towards the end, you know, I'm like, okay, I think everything's good. Like I'm feeling better. I'm feeling positive. And in the back of my head, I knew that once I was left to my own devices again, once I got out and back into, you know, the real world, I was going to drink again. But to make my family, my friends happy, you know, I just said like, you know, I got it. Everything's going to be good. And so as soon as I got out, um, I ended up getting a motel room. And that night went straight to the liquor store and just got a liter. Um, so the very next day after getting discharged, I went right back to rehab for my third time in three months. So I did another stay, another residential stay, but actually, no, this time was, I did long-term because the, the rehab, they said, you know, this is your third time back in three months. So I think that you need to be an LTR. So they ended up giving me a scholarship um, because they thought that I really needed it. And I did. So I ended up doing their long-term program for a month and I got out and, um, it, it was just the same. It was the same thing. Same cycle. I went right back to it. I, I think maybe like three days after. And so this time I was living in Philly with roommates. Um, my friend had recommended his old room. He was running a room out and, you know, recommended me for it. So I was in there and, um, I just started like drinking their alcohol and like that became a problem. And then just using all of the money that I had on alcohol and not paying rent. And it was just really, really bad. So luckily though, I was still, I was making money through unemployment at the time. And so I was in, I found another place to go to and the um, same thing. I was still drinking a whole lot there. And, um, Basically, I started getting liters instead of two pints because it was cheaper. And then I realized that like I was drinking a whole liter in a day and still functioning, as we call it. And so what happened was one day I drank um, a pint and like some airplane bottles and I decided I needed more. So I took my car and I drove to the liquor store got my leader and was on my way home and I ended up swerving really bad and almost had a head on collision with like a truck and someone had saw me and followed me home and they called the police on me. And so as I was walking into my house, the police had showed up um, and they, they, you know, basically 
they did the field test and I failed horribly. And then I ended up going to the station and they did the breathalyzer. So I ended up getting a second DUI uh, for this. So after that happened, I mean, I had already planned on going to a sober living at the end of the month. This was in May or I'm sorry, this was in March. And I said, I'm going to go to sober living the end of March. Um, Oh, no, I'm sorry. You can edit this out. So I planned on going to sober living at the end of May. This was April 24th that this happened. And after this with the DUI, I realized this is not okay. You cannot wait until the end of the month. You need to go to sober living tomorrow. So I, um, I called around and I ended up finding a place that would take me like in a couple of days. So I, I went, I just packed all of my stuff up. I left my, the room that I was renting out early. Um, and, and I just went and I've been sober ever since. So that was on April 24th and, um, yeah, December 25th will be eight months. When, when were we in rehab together? So in that, in that story, I think my second time. Your second time, okay. Because yeah, you know, I remember seeing you and one being like, "Okay, this girl is way too young to be here." And then, as I, I was a little naive. It was my first go around, so. Um, but I remember listening to you speak when you know when when you know uh, at the end of the nights when the, the guys and girls would get together, and I remember thinking, uh, you know, how you know, well-spoken and mature and just like, I was like, wow, this girl is really impressive. And, and now to see you eight months sober, it, it, you just have a different look about you. Like, so there, it's, it's funny. They say sobriety fits people a certain way and you can see it on them and you, I, you can see it. I know the listeners can't, but we could see it on you <clears throat> that it just, you know, suits you so well. And, and I'm just so, so happy. Thank for you. you. No, that means this, a lot. You know, my, my question is, you know, you, you had a couple of stints, right? You had a couple of stays in residential long-term, you know, and every, and each time you would go back out, what, did you feel anything click when you decided, when you, when you said, cause we've all been there, we've all said, you know what? No, no, no. Like I, I can stop this anytime, anytime I want. I, I chuckled when you said, no, 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 I, I don't have a problem. I just abuse it. It's one of the things we, we, we as addicts do. We were like, no, no, guys, it's not a problem because I know that I'm abusing it. It's different. I'm not lying about it. It's like, no, that's probably one of the biggest red flags there is. Yeah. But, you know, when every other time you had a reservation, you said, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. You know what? I'm going to, you, you do great and you, you go back out. You do great and you go back out. Did you feel something inside you change when you said, I'm going to wait till the end of the month and, and all of a sudden it went, no, actually... I got to go right now. I got to start looking right now. What was that? What was that like? Really? It was, it was the wake up calls. You know, it sucks when it has to come to like major things happening in your life for you to get it together. But I mean, I remember almost having a head on collision could have killed myself or someone else right then and there. Um, so that was a wake up call. And then like a second DUI, you know, the consequences that come with that. I, 
so many things where I was just losing my relationships. I was losing this. I lost three jobs because of it. Um, and places to, that I was living in, like I was losing my home and it was just so, so detrimental to me. And I think just that final DUI was really just like the wake up call. And not only that, it was like seeing how, how much my tolerance had increased. Um, it was just, it was scary. It was very scary for my health. And I'm like, I, I just can't lose anything else. You know, I have way too much going for me. You know, I, I just can't, I can't do this anymore. So that was just like the big click was like, you are literally ruining your life and something has to change. You mentioned that um, the first time around that you went to rehab to make your parents happy and that, you know, you, you in turn had reservations about going, but you went for other people. Um, I could definitely relate to that. The first time I went to rehab, it was definitely for other people. It was for my wife, my parents, uh, my employer. But at the end of the day, I, I knew deep down in my heart that I wasn't going for myself. Can you go into the emotions behind that compared to the last time and describe those reservations, knowing that you weren't going, I guess, for yourself? Yeah. I mean, I think honestly, when we think about it, like we know deep down if we're ready or not, we know if, if we're going to stop and if it's for ourselves or if it's for other people. And those three times those three months that I was away, it was for other people. It wasn't really for myself. It was to make everyone else happy. Um, so I knew coming out of it that there was a very, very high chance of me relapsing. And every time that I felt that way, I did. So those were just, you know, the reservations that I had. So, you know, First of all, congratulations on your upcoming anniversary. Um, it's really awesome to hear that you're going to have that time. And I identify with not just so much of your story, but that reservation too. Um, you know, it took me 10 years to get into rehab. And, you know, now it's been 11 years and six plus months since I first started trying this stuff. Um, and, and I identify with all of those different feelings and fears and anxieties and reservations that you had while you were out there. I have come up against having reservations in sobriety. So can you talk to us a little bit about that? Do you have them? Are they in your mind? And if they are, or when they come up, how do you handle those? Yeah, so... That's actually something I wanted to touch on too, is that I, like, if I wanted to be completely honest with myself, you know, and everyone else, which it's very important to be vocal about how you're feeling in sobriety. Um, I, I still have them. I still, I still struggle with having reservations and thinking that there is a fix and that one day I will be able to drink socially with my friends and family and at, at get togethers and things of that nature. Um, I could tell you right now, if I were to move out of the sober living I'm in and be on my own again, I would probably go back to drinking. I just know that I'm not ready yet. 
But when I, when I start thinking about it, I mean, it's, it's just like a mental block. I just have to mentally block it out. Like it's not a part of my life and it, it can never be a part of my life. Um, but the one thing that really, really keeps me sober, I will say, is just the complete 180 that my life has done since being sober. You know, I got a new job that I absolutely love working from home, making more than I've ever made in my life. I'm able to save money. I mean, being in, I'm in an Oxford house right now. Um, and it's, you know, it's obviously way cheaper than being on your own. Um, and then you just have the support group around you. Um, but it's just, my life has gotten drastically better than it has, than it was seven, eight months ago. And that is really what keeps me grounded and reminds me that, you know, no matter what I may be thinking or what reservations might still creep up in the back of my head, it's not worth losing everything again. And it's, I need to hold on to like everything that I've built for my life in these past eight months. You know, it's funny you say, uh, you, one thing I definitely love about your story is that you're self-aware enough to understand that you still have reservations. That's something that took me years to, to identify with. I mean, I really, I don't think until recently I was self-aware enough to even admit that I had a problem. I mean, even when I was six months sober, I was trying to convince myself that I didn't truly have a problem and to be so early into your sobriety and to be self-aware enough to say, you know, I still do have reservations. And if I left the uh, sober living that I'm in, I probably would end up drinking is very admirable. Um, do you have any other reservations or um, I would just say, you know, tough issues that you're currently having that you are self-aware enough to know that you have to avoid? And let me expand on that. I, yeah, I was just going to say, I, can you elaborate? Yeah, no, I, I know that I am really bad with arguing and, um, you know, I have all these things that, you know, sobriety has helped me with, uh, I'm more patient, I'm more present, but one thing that I've realized recently is I'm self, I'm self-aware in the fact that I know I struggle with being present. I, I struggle with, um, not being materialistic. I struggle with all these things that were masked during my addiction. Um, not, not so much, what are you struggling with, but through your sobriety in the last eight months, what are you realizing that your life has changed in a positive way? I can wholeheartedly say like every single aspect of my life, my relationships with my significant other, um, my sister, my, my dad, my mom, everyone has, it's, it's great. And so one thing for me was also, um, confrontation. I'm, I'm really bad with that. And so anytime that there was like something that I had to confront or like an argument that I had to call up and okay, explain myself or like, you know, whatever I would drink beforehand. I would always drink before any, any type of confrontation. And so when I had those things happen, being sober, it just like made me that much stronger. I feel like, you know, it's like, okay, so I can do these things sober. I don't have to be blasted to have these conversations with people. Um, but yeah, my main thing was, was like social anxiety. So being in 
groups or like going to concerts, um, parties, just events, anything where there's a bunch of people that I don't know or, you know, just a bunch of people in general. Um, I was always worried about like what other people think of me and, you know, what I'm saying, if what I'm saying like made sense or was good enough. And so I would always drink to suppress those feelings. But the more that I put myself in those situations, being sober, the more that I realized that it's totally capable. Um, So it's just helped me a lot, kind of forcing myself into those situations. You know, Julia, we've had um, a couple of young, really young people on on the podcast. Um, Dan O, who was in rehab with us, uh, we had him on. You know, and, you know, another thing that we've tried to do with this podcast is we've tried to highlight all methods of recovery, not just 12-step programs or smart recovery or, um, you know, anything that keeps you sober. Do you find yourself, when being so young, do you find yourself struggling to gravitate towards any type of program that, you know, that you don't, feel or you need structure, or you want that structure that you're just going to figure it out for, on your own right now? Or, you know, how do you grapple with that being so young and knowing that, you know, there's all these different flavors out there? Well, um, I want to say thank you for calling me so young, number one, because I will be 29 next year. But I, um, I don't know. I think the biggest thing with me is having that network and so going to AA groups even online and meeting people um, has been really really beneficial in in my recovery I have a I have a a, a really good solid friend group uh, great family all very supportive but sometimes you know they don't no one really understands it unless you've been through it and you're going through it so having that support group and that network within like AA and NA and all of the different, even, you know, smart recovery, whoever just in recovery and going through it, it's just very, very beneficial for me to have that group of people. That's awesome. You know, Julia, I I couldn't agree more. Um, I think one of the things that changed for me this time is that I dove into that community. You know, I surrounded myself with people of like mind and made myself open to making friendships and having connections within the recovery community so that I wasn't doing this by myself. You know, one of the biggest reservations that I had was opening up to other people because not only was I comparing myself to everybody, but I was also, you know, looking for ways to not be part of and this time having friends having true connections and fellowship um in my in my program has completely changed it um you mentioned you mentioned a, a number of great things that you have put into your into your life to help support your sobriety um as as we shared this podcast is really focused on those in early recovery um so what's one piece of advice you would have for people early on in their journey that you would want to share with them? I think the best piece of advice that I can give anyone 
would be to just stay completely, completely, completely true to yourself and honest with others about where you are in your recovery. Because, I mean, it'll just burn you in the long run. Um, If you have those reservations, say it out loud, you know, have other people hear it, you know, just let them know that you're struggling, that you still think about whatever. And, you know, just work with, work with that. If, if you feel like you, you may need to go into sober living. I mean, I know I needed to, I would not have been able to do this if I was in my own apartment still. Um, I need it to be held accountable and, um, you know, sober living was the best thing that I could have done for myself. Awesome. And, you know, for me, I think that being, someone who can share those reservations and articulate them to others that that community that we were just talking about is huge you know i i tell my sponsees this all the time if you don't think about drugs and alcohol you're lying to yourself because that's what we that's what we do as alcoholics and addicts we think about getting fucked up right and it's acknowledging that and then sharing that so that the people around us can take that weight and and share it with us so we don't have to do it by ourselves. I think that's excellent, excellent advice. Well, Julia, thank you so much for your time tonight. It was really great seeing you. It was so good to see you guys. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for joining. Of course. That was a, uh, it was great to see uh, somebody from when we all met and, you know, got together. Um, I say get together like we we intended to meet up, um, but yeah, no, it's it's funny. You just you remember certain people. Certain people stick out to you in in rehab, and and Julie was definitely one of those people because, like I said, you know, that it she was one of the people that you, you were like, how does she get it? You know, and it really is one of those things that that they that we they talk about in rehab. Like you know, in rehab you have a bubble. It's really easy to stay connected, stay grounded when literally like you are spoon fed recovery. Um, and it's, you, you could just, you could tell by talking to, to Julie, she's, she's a bright girl. And, and when she was in there, she got it. And as soon as she, you know, was left to her own devices, it, it, it went out the window. And so I was really impressed to hear her, you know, say that, you know, and you could tell that, you know, having eight months over, that she's she's still a baby in recovery. She's still finding her way. And so she didn't put the emphasis on, like, like that desire to, that all of a sudden that mental switch to decide, okay, I'm not going to wait till the end of the month. I'm going to go to, I'm going to start calling right now. You know, that's that's a light bulb moment. That you know, I think that as she stays sober and she gets deeper into sobriety, she'll turn back, turn around, and look at that and go, "Oh God, that was that was a huge stepping stone moment." I, and it's it's great to hear, uh, you know, people that you were that you spent some just weird game nights playing Pictionary with. It's great to see them, you know, turn in the corner. Well, I think I think also, you know we're only at 16 months. And for me, I consider myself a baby in sobriety. You know, I mean, I look at people like Pat and Quint and all of these other people in my life that have 
five years, 10 years, 15 years, 30 years. And what I really loved was hearing her still have that fire and passion and understanding of what got her here. Yeah, I really like her piece of advice, you know, stay true and honest to yourself and others. And you can see that she is living that. I mean, she openly admitted that she's not fully, not that she's not committed, that she does currently still have reservations. And, you know, I, I think if she had that feeling of being self-aware the first or second or I think it was her fourth time. So third time out of rehab, maybe she would have stayed a little longer, but it's really good that she's living that advice. Yeah. I mean, I think about that too. I was in a meeting the other day and the question was, what if, you know, what if I got sober 10 years ago? I mean, I can't bog myself down with thinking like that. And for me, it took 10 years. For her, it took three times at rehab. For us, it took what it did. And I just really appreciate that she has really done a lot of searching to see what got her to where she was and what she needs to do for her recovery now. Yeah, there's no point of doing the what ifs. I mean, we all can go back. I mean, Ben, it's amazing. And thank God that you got it the first time. But you know, I didn't get it the first, second, third, whatever amount of times we want to consider over a five, six year span, but at least this time I did for now. Um, you know, and if I'm honest with myself, I still have reservations. Like Jason said, like anyone who says they don't think about it, I think is straight up lying. Lying to themselves. Yeah. Lying to themselves. So of course I still think about it. Of course I want the immediate escape, but if you play the tape forward, it doesn't ever, ever work out well. Yeah, there's really no, like, yeah, it, I think it's one of those things that's just built in. That's just the way we're built. Like, if you don't, if you don't think about drinking, I mean, I don't, what are you doing here? You know, like, it's just, that's just the nature of it. But I think, you know, I think one of the biggest differences now is, you know, it's like, I think thinking about it is just, it's, 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 built into the recipe, you know? So it's kind of nice knowing that like, it's not a shock when those thoughts come anymore. It's not a shock when I stare at the liquor store a little bit longer when I drive past. It's not a shock because by the next light, I've already forgotten about it because it's like a jackass. Guess where that leads, you know? And so it's, 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 you know, and that only, you know, comes through just, you know, repetition and staying the course, like, you know, and trusting that no matter what, it'll stick, you know, for, for however long it sticks, I don't know, but it's, it's going to stick for today. Not only that, Ben, but I think that I don't have the fear around that thought either. You know, like I remember when I first got out of rehab and for the first couple of months, I would have that thought of, Oh, I want to drink and then immediately have to call my sponsor because I was like, well, what, what's that going to do? Where's that going to lead me? You know? And now I have all of the tools to have that thought and then take the next right action to dissipate that thought. Or like you said, that thought just disappears on its own, you know? So, well, it was really great seeing Julia tonight. Um, Really great episode, and I hope you boys have a great rest of your weekend. 
And as always, each and every one of our episodes is dedicated to the still sick and suffering alcoholic and addict, especially the individual who's going to pick up for the first time tonight. Have a great night, guys. Have a great night. Have a great night. We appreciate your liking and subscribing to our podcast. If you liked what you heard today and would like to support our podcast, feel free to Venmo a dollar to our virtual basket at Sober Solutions Podcast. We want to hear from you too. If you have a comment, question, topic, or would like to come on the show, find us on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube at Sober Solutions Podcast. Or you can shoot us an email to SoberSolutionsPodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And if you like what you've heard, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the show.